Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Barris Sage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we are doing Free Rider Friday for the month of September. Hey, Ed. Hey, Ron, I think this is the first time you're opening Free Rider Friday in a while. Like, I just have the sense that for some reason... <laughs> It's been a pretty regular thing that I've opened it. I don't. Maybe I'll have to go back and check that. But I, I just, I just think that this is just it's weird that you're opening this. I, I, I lose count of who opens and. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I well, know. we should, as we always like to do, full disclosure. We are pre-recording this show. It is uh, Thursday, the nineteenth. So we're putting the show in the can a good week ahead of time, because Ed, I will be in Ohio next week for the Ohio Society of CPAs accounting conference. They're actually doing four this year, um, one in their four major cities there in Ohio. This is the second one I've done, and I know you're coming out to the third one, right? Right, in Cleveland at the end of October. In in October, and then there's one more in November. I forget the city. Uh, I think it's Columbus, actually, because I've done Dayton. And this will be Cincinnati next week. And then uh, the next day on the um, the 20th, well, that evening, actually, on the 26th, uh, I have to get over to Indianapolis University because I'm doing a two-day conference there. And I'm doing delivering a keynote at night and then uh, doing a couple sessions the next day. They're piping in Rick Payne from Australia, who happens, I think he's in the outback somewhere on vacation. So I... <laughs> That's going to be interesting internet connection, but uh, they're going to they're going to have him speak. And uh, I, I thought they were going to do Paul Dunn, but I don't think so. Do they have yeah. Reginald at that too? Uh, Reginald, I think, is might attend it, but he's not speaking. Okay. But I, I told him he could come over. Um, it's kind of all around uh, the principles of my books because the professor who invited and set this whole thing up, he uses two or three of my books in his class. Oh, he wow. Uses pricing on purpose. He uses mind over matter and maybe measure what matters. I forget, but, uh, or maybe the latest one. But uh, yeah, he's a big fan. But he, he goes back to the boot camp days. So he heard me speak with Paul Dunn and heard me speak around boot camp. But he put this whole thing together. We're going to have 500 people there. That's between amazing. Students, alumni, and current people. Indiana Society is one of the sponsors. So yeah, it's going to be quite an event. That sounds really cool. Yeah. No, and by Reginald, I mean Reginald Lee, who's been a guest on the the show here a number of times. Also, a Verisage fellow, and is going to be down in Verisage Down Under, which we talked about last week, which is actually this coming week. But <laughs> with <laughs> yeah, so we uh, that'll be that'll be fun, and uh, I'm look forward to, to seeing him. But man, he he because he gives him hell, doesn't he, Reginald? Oh, yeah. Reginald doesn't hold back. So, you know, I've never heard Reginald speak yet. That's one of the things because he's doing these Ohio 
all four conferences as well. And the first time they put our sessions at the exact same time. So I couldn't sit in on him. He couldn't sit on on me. So we've never heard really one another speak. But I think at one of them, uh, not this one in Cincinnati, we're speaking at the same time again. But I think in the one you're coming to, I'll be able to watch him. Okay. Unless, of course, of course, he's up against me, in which case you have to come see me and not him. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'd probably go see him. I've, nah, I've heard, you know, yeah. I, I've heard you enough, Ed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The peanut story. Uh huh. All right. Yeah. Yep. You know, my dad, my dad is actually flying into Cincinnati to join us and, you know, have dinner, and he'll, he'll be meeting Reginald for the first time. And I told my dad, I said, if you come to my session, I will kill you. You need to go sit in Reginald's session. Yeah, uh, in Cincinnati. So he's going to do that. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, that's, that's good. See, this is how this free rider works is you never know. You never know where we're going to go with it. So For sure. For sure. Well, I got a short one, Ed, so you can dive okay. into what you want to get into, but, and I've had this in the stack since June and somehow it just got messed up. And, but, um, father Pacioli's book, and there's a thousand of them out there. Um, well, 120 copies, are exist from a, a run of a thousand, which is how many they printed. This is out. Luca Pacioli, right? The Luca guy who, Pacioli, who now this is his, this is his uh, magnum opus. So it's the 600 page. It's actually 615 page work. That's got the one chapter insert on how to do double entry bookkeeping. It's really right. interesting. It's a how, you know, they just, everybody describes this as the how to chapter. Maybe that's why accountants are so big on show me how to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, where's my checklist. Uh, but this thing, one of them sold at auction for $1.2 million. Wow. I wow. Think at Christie's auction. And uh Yeah. In, in New York, sold for 1.2, an, an original vellum-bounded ba- volume. Uh, just amazing. Um, you know, Lin- Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci was just unbelievably um, big fan of this work. And in fact, there's rumors that the two were lovers. Really? Yeah, big time. I had not heard yep. that. No, there there are. And, and, and I don't know if it's ever been conclusively... Um, you know, established or not, but that is definitely because he was a patron, you know, um, and they, they just had a very close relationship. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Yeah. And that's, and I did not know until I read, what was it? The, 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 uh, Tim, Tim Harford's book, Timothy Harford's book. Right. 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 Where that I I did not realize that it was only a chapter in this larger work. It's a mathematics book, really. It's correct. It's everything we knew about math up to that point, basically. It's quite a work they say. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, Ed, I've got a copy of the book and I've read the, you know, the insert. Not an original chapter. vellum. No, no, copy. no, not <laughs> an original. Um, but, you know, there's lots of uh, biblical references to it. There's, there's, he thought you should have a cross on the ledger book, um, you know, because he wanted to make sure that somebody was watching over you, that you made the entries correct. There was a lot of that. Um he well, said, the T you know, account, the T account. Holy well, God. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. I, I wonder that that's where it came from. But he said, you know, this this will make you uh, help you sleep easily at night because without double entry bookkeeping, uh, you know, your minds would keep them awake with worry about what was going on in your business. And yeah, just all sorts of really interesting things. But yeah, a one point two million dollar book. That's impressive. 
must have been one of those partners at like one of the big four that bought it. It could be. Maybe uh, even a firm. Firm and put it on the yeah. It'd be, yeah. It'd be cool to have that. It's like it the would. the, Nas- the Naismith the Naismith rules for basketball. You know, that went for a couple right. million dollars it, ten years ago. That you know, he had typewritten up up those the the first whatever twelve rules. Yeah. But interesting. Now the other thing that I I, I remember from the Harford book w- is that it's he didn't invent it. See, that's the other misnomer too. It's 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 he it, he is set, purported to have written it down and put it in this chapter. But like you said, this was a history of mathematics kind of thing, and right. he's the one who just encodified it in this book. Now he might have added his own material to it and fleshed it out a little bit more, but it did. wasn't original to him. Is my right. point? No, it wasn't. It goes back quite a ways, and I think um, what I saw on this was I think uh, Charles Adams talks about this in for good and evil, you know, his book on the history of taxation. But there's another guy who wrote another book called a reckoning, I think. And he talks about the originator of double entry and it's not Pacioli there. It was out there. I think Pacioli did refine it and probably provide more examples. Um, you know, but the, the idea was out there more. He just well, diffused I mean, it and printed it first. <laughs> was it the Phoenicians or the Sumerians or whatever that that had that had you know the originally? I mean, they, they, that's where they they came up with numbers too. So I think that that right. was part of it. Right. I, you know, there was something about the double entry that I and Pacioli didn't. I don't think he came up with that, but that was a an advancement. He just might have refined it more. But, yeah. Yeah. And we've we've suffered ever since under the notion that debits equal credits in the real world. So, yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes out. It all comes out even, Ron. And Every debit. Credit yeah, all. including my misspent youth thinking that <laughs> I, can't, I can't begin to tell you uh, who's <clears throat> who's the line. And, you know, I, I often cite this. I love this line and I, I attribute it to various various age fellows, depending upon my mood. But was it was it Paul Paul uh, Kennedy or who, who said that that how accountants measure their ignorance is goodwill? Yeah, it was Paul Paul O'Byrne. Oh, Paul O'Byrne. It was Paul O'Byrne. Yeah, yeah that's, goodwill that. is the word we use to describe <laughs> our ignorance. Yeah, that I love, that's ignorance a great about line. value because you know it's not a it's not it's not a theory. Counting is not a theory. I've even had arguments with Rick Payne about that. Well, accounting is an identity equation. Is there such thing, though, as accounting theory? Is is He he thinks there is. He argues that certain revenue recognition is is a theory. I guess, you know, the idea of metrics, right? Black-Scholes option pricing. I said, yeah, but that's not accounting. It's finance. (laughs) This doesn't fit into the... The, the 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 identity equation yeah accounting is not a theory period that's why it, it can't do market value yeah well and and that's a great question is like when, once you start to do divisions or, you know the ratio analysis it's stuff that i learned in finance class not not in accounting right, right? It, that's that's the only thing i can think of that we could think of as theory but again where where does accounting begin and finance end i don't know and, and the problem is, I think I'm pretty sure when I took the CPA exam, part one and part two were called theory. They were it was oh really so okay just, so it was actually called that. that term yeah 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 so I don't know if they still do I think they rename the parts of the CPA exam from when I've taken it so <laughs> which stands for couldn't pass again so <laughs> <clears throat> is that really true do you, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that you would pass again oh no way you? oh no way. Oh God! I don't think any CPA could. There's I, no way. 
there's no way it it no it gets more complicated every year there's more standards but maybe an auditor could because they keep up with the accounting standards and that's a big chunk of the exam but it would be really hard and then there, isn't there there's a tax side too right so that's yeah the, i think there is now yep there used so. to be an economic side in some states but i think they pulled it <laughs> Yeah, too, too theoretical. Too weird. Too weird. Too theoretical. Yeah, too theoretical. Well, that's the joke. You know, the two grad students, the professor on the board in econ, he's writing out his equations and then his graphs, and, and then he's got the ceteris paribus, you know, all the things are holding constant. And one grad student leans over to the other and says, Ed, where where would economics be without its assumptions? And he said, It would be accounting. <laughs> <laughs> Which Great is true, line. which is, it is. Which is absolutely true. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we're up against a break. Want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows, our calendar events that's out there, and our favorite section, the archive page, where you can go back and listen to all 250-some-odd previous shows that we've done. But right now, a word from our sponsor. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, we are free riding here on Friday on the Soul of Enterprise. Of course, as we mentioned earlier, we are actually recording the show on the 19th of September rather than the what would be the 27th of September. So almost uh, almost 10 days in advance and also the end of baseball season, Ron. 
Like I, I will already, oh. I, I already will have known the fate of my Mets by the time that this airs. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's there. Hey, look, I'm, we're still playing meaningful baseball in September. We've got a real long shot to make the postseason, but that's okay. It's meaningful baseball in September. That's all I care about. That's a it, it successful could be a dark season horse or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a successful season. There was a lot of mess ups. Hopefully next year will be better, but you know, we're playing 500 ball and, and like I said, meaningful games in September. That's, that's my measure. Well, fair enough. All right. All right. So let's, let's talk about something that uh, those people who are on our Patreon uh, channel have heard before, but, Again, I, I bring up some of these things uh, on free ride, the actual Free Rider Fridays, not just the bonus episodes, because I think they're too important to, to, to miss. And one of them is what's going on in your home state. Again, it, of course, it would be California, Ron. Of course, yeah, it's of course California. It of course. It and would. this is the fact that that the what is it? It's uh, is it assembly bill? Is that yes, how they do AB, it? Assemb- AB5. AB5. AB5, which is really trying to get the gig economy completely destroyed in the state of California. But let's say what they're actually trying to do, and that is to make sure that people who are in gig economy type jobs, so Uber and drivers, Lyft drivers, that kind of stuff, that they should be covered as employees. Because this is a quote from a Huffington Post article, and this is a Uber's response to this. The headline is Uber says it won't reclassify drivers as employees despite new law. So it'd be interesting to see how Uber will do that when really it's the state of California that will decide. But anyway, but here's the thing. Here's the quote from the article. One driver and organizer, Mustafa Maklad, M-A-K-L-A-D. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Maklad told Huffington Post that in May, he drove between 40 and 50 hours a week with Uber and Lyft, and that after taxes, he was making less than minimum wage. <laughs> so I'm going to parse this sentence out a little bit because there's really two things going on here. The first and most obvious one is define drove, right? Yep. Define drove, for, that he drove between 40 and 50 hours. Did he? Did he have the app on the whole time? Did he, was this just the number of hours that he ha- actually had people in the car with him? Right. So you know, what I love is like bringing in this, the whole timesheet issue oh, on yeah, this because yeah. this, because this is where they're going with it. Right. Yeah, so I'm just, I'm just using the, their own, their own their ammo own against them. Right. Yep. The own ammo against them. So wh- where does that start? Because I figured out that, you know, it didn't take me long to, to figure that I could, drive and i'm doing scare quotes which you can't see on the radio uh, drive between 40 and 50 hours a week by turning get, signing up for uber turning on the uber app at midnight right shutting it off at 6 a.m so while i'm sleeping i'm working for right. uber yeah 40 right? some odd hours a week 40 some yeah. odd hours a week 42 hours a week right six times seven is 42 last i checked so you know i two hours of overtime hell yeah right and that could I then claim that, hey, you know, Uber needs to pay me minimum wage for having the app on. Now, I don't have to take any take any fares. No. Nope. Right. What, what what where where does it say that I have to take a fare? Right. And so where where is this falling? But what I thought was most interesting and a little bit more subtle about this article was the, the second part of the sentence, which says that after taxes, he was making less than minimum wage. Right. It's like, what? I don't know about you, Ron, but don't they measure 
minimum wage before, before. tax. Yeah. <laughs> and if that outrages you, how about rather than raising the minimum wage, we lower the taxes? Oh, you know, oh, wait a minute. Think, can't think that way. <laughs> no, 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 no. That would mean that California, Ron, would actually have to take less money. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> um, the thing is that I listened to a NPR on point uh, podcast on this, the, 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 the AB5 bill. They were talking specifically about California. They had people from labor unions and I don't know, somebody from some business lobby group or whatever arguing against but the woman from massachusetts made the point that we've had the equivalent of the dynamex decision you know the three criteria to she goes we've had this in massachusetts for over like nine years or something Mm -hmm. she goes this isn't going to change anything because they will allow uber to say we're a tech company they will. So she's she's dismissing this as this so is all she's saying, she go, Yeah, this is all hyperbole. This isn't going to change anything. Then my question is, why pass the law? If it's not going to change anything, why is Uber so worried about it and Lyft and others, TaskRabbit, I think, and others? You know, if it's not going to change anything, according to the arguments they were making on this podcast, then why have the law? Of course, it's going to change something. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the uncertainty that, that, that is troublesome in and of itself. Well, and this is where this kind of weaves in, because I had a conversation with somebody else earlier today. Oh, it was our friend Dan um, uh, fr- from, uh, fr- from uh, uh, our, the leading results he used to do our social media. Recall them? Right. Sure. And I was just talk- talking with him, and he said, you know, one of the things that was happening with General Motors was the fact that the General Motors is concerned with all of these? There's so many part-time workers now who are working, you know, just under the whatever it is, the 35 hours a week, who are considered sub- subcontractors, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, how is that working? Like, how 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 does General Motors get away with that? Like, if you're coming to a factory and working as a subcontractor for 35 hours a week, how do they? How, how do they get classified then as, is it, because it, 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 it's not, well, maybe it's just part-time workers and they couldn't be part of the union. I don't know. It's, it just, it just seems, yeah, it seems odd like that's to me. more of a part-time full-time classification, not Cation, so much right. an independent contractor versus employee. I think they're still employees. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's the deal. But, but, but I, I never understood this, how the state would define who is and who is not an employee though. I know. I know. It, 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 and, and, and when they do, when they try and do, they apply these 19th century industrial era, you know, the whole thing is, oh, well, we need protection. They need minimum wages. They need health benefits. I mean, these things should be tied to an individual anyway. They shouldn't be attached right. to your job. I mean, that's part of the problem. That's, I think, one of the reasons, Ed, and I don't know how much of a factor it is, but I think it's one of the reasons for less mobility that we've seen in the U.S., people let you know, less likely to pick up and move. Now mm-hmm. I know there's a social like capital you. argument and all that, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah. And, 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 and look, I, I don't have any benefits from anybody I have to pay. They're all self-funded. Uh, uh-huh. but, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, and you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the, the argument that Gilder made for the a personal phone, in the death of television was we don't need a landline attached to a location. We need a phone attached to the individual. It should be the same with benefits. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, so I think I interrupted you about this NPR person. So she's so dismissing this as puffery that it's not that it's not yeah, going to change, not going to change, change the law. So what does she say? Well, what is it then? Like if Uber and Lyft are really OK, because what I've heard is that they're going to carve out exemptions for them. Right. 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 Like w- there must be who is it? I mean, this is probably targeted at a group of workers that don't have a voice like Uber and Lyft do. Yep. Right. And that it's going to affect those people. Who who knows? I mean, that's the thing. There's so much uncertainty surrounding it. I think that's troublesome in and of itself. But I I just, it, this is such antiquated thinking being applied to this new dynamic economy that we're in. Um, you know, just, just a point of irony, <laughs> the same day that this law passed, AB5, Apple released its new iPhones. So here on one side of California, you have this incredible entrepreneurial company that constantly creates creative destruction, right? Replaces the the old with the new. Uh, and, and then you've got the state legislature, you know, up the road trying to figure out how to hold on to the past. It's it's the past versus the future. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 you know, this is um, this is what Virginia Pastorell wrote, that great book, uh, The Future and Its Enemies. This was her premise. Are we going to let the future play out or are we going to try and uh, hold it back and, and keep the status quo? It's, you know, it's the, what's what dynamism means. I think that's why you and I like that word so much, because mm-hmm. dynamism kind of captures everything about innovation, market tested, change, creative destruction. It's all in that word. Uh, and yet you get politics involved, government, they just slow this stuff down. Well, that, there was a, a, an interesting piece that Stossel just released a couple of days ago. He's, you know, and the basic premise of it is, is, uh, is the glass half full or glass half empty. And if reason magazine, I guess had done an issue where on one side, the glass was half full on the other side, it was half empty. And of course, in their imitable style, what they're saying is that where it's, where it's half full is, is all in market dynamism where it's all half empty is related to government. Yeah. The opioid crisis, (laughs) the, you know, you name the crisis du jour and it's all government's got to do something about this, but government creates and exasperates some of these issues too. Yeah, I, I worry about this because, you know, this is 43 percent of the economy and or or the labor force is involved or will be involved in the gig economy by 2020. And these are private contracts that the government has no business telling you that you can't do this. It's that old joke, Ed, that, you know, the 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 the, the street performers in the public park, you know, are copulating and the. The liberals are worried that they're not paid minimum wage and the conservatives worry that they're copulating and setting a bad example. And the libertarians are fretting that there's a public park, <laughs> um, you know, one of my one of my favorite jokes. Yeah, one I, of my favorite jokes. Um, but it's just it's just I just hate this interference this. I think, you know, if something were to happen with this, I think we would see uh, who is it? The Institute of Justice. Mm-hmm. I think they would step in, and I think they'd be all over this. Pro- probably so. Probably so. And they've done great work. So anyway, Ed, we're up against it. Well, I can't believe how fast this is flying by. But folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, send us an email to asktsoe at com. Please go out 
to iTunes and give us a review. If you write a review, we will read it on the air, good, bad, or indifferent. And uh, now we'd like to hear from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. It's Free Rider Friday for the month of September. And Ed, we just spoke about dynamism and creative destruction, and we're big fans of that and letting the future unfold and letting the market decide. But I've got a story here that uh, I do this with a heavy heart because this is one instance where that, that, that joy of dynamism is tempered. And this is out of Schumpeter from The Economist. It's from August 17th, so it's about a month behind. But it's about FedEx. Okay. And I love FedEx. I've admired FedEx and Fred Smith. Uh, in fact, it, the, the company is so tied with its 71-year-old, uh, 75-year-old, sorry, founder, Fred Smith, that some people call it FredX. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But he's an entrepreneur of the old school. This is according to Schumpeter. You know, this is more like an editorial. Uh, he does run the biggest cargo airline in the world. They've got 681 aircrafts. They, they move 15 million packages per day. Uh, and he was the one that secured deregulation of the air cargo industry in the 70s. And that's what enabled him to, you know, uh, carry cargo basically mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and not just the airlines in fact he called himself fedex i don't know if you remember this but the reason he called himself federal express because he wanted it to sound official so yep. because the it was he was moving federal reserve checks you know when back in the days when they cleared them 
And so he needed an official sounding line, kind of like what Steve Martin says about you never see Fred's bank. Fred's bank. Yeah. (laughs) I am Fred, you know, (laughs) Uh, but Uh uh, in January, the board in effect gave Mr. Smith tenure for life, waiving the firm's retirement age of 75. Now, the economist says, yeah, shareholders, though, are less giddy about this because FedEx ought to benefit from one uh, from uninterrupted GDP growth. In other words, when the economy grows, FedEx should be right there with it. Right. Since 2009, the company has underperformed the S&P 500 by almost 100 percentage points. Um, It had problems integrating Europe's TNT Express, which it bought in 2016 for four point four billion. Many think they overpaid for it. Uh, e-commerce is raising the importance of delivery to homes at faster speeds and lower costs. Think Amazon Prime, all the other ways now we get stuff delivered to our home. FedEx has responded by expanding its trucking service, but this clobbers margins. Uh, a f- few years ago, Mr. Smith mocked the idea of competition from the likes of Amazon as fantastical. Uh, and Chinese government is reportedly threatening to put FedEx on its own blacklist. Um, and uh, FedEx has actually brought a lawsuit against the U.S. government saying it should not have to deputize the police the contents of any packages it sends um, to make sure they don't violate export bans. So there's that problem. But the biggest threat comes from a company out of China uh, that's backed by Alibaba that in 2017 pledged to invest $15 billion in cross-border logistics. Um, so basically what the, Fed, uh, what the economist says is uh, <laughs> FedEx's company management, the C-suite, which are all around the same tenure as Mr. Smith and are all around you know, above the age of 60. He said they're getting long in the tooth. Um, you know, the, the average executives had three decades at the firm. And they think that uh, they need a Fred exit. Hmm. And Fred you know, if if FedEx ever does go down or disappear, I'm going to be sad. But it's it's just a it, it's an iconic company. Oh yeah, I mean they just had so many when it absolutely positively has to be there. I mean just to the the great the, ads, the, the commercials guy who would, would talk really fast, fast. right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, so just some of the greatest commercials ever. I mean, because they, they had a sense of humor. It was just a phenomenal com- company. There's a lot of stories and folklore around it. But apparently he did fly to Vegas and put 10 grand. He was a pilot in the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And he did he did fly to Vegas to make payroll and put down a $10,000 kitty on the blackjack table and won the hand. Mm-hmm. He also dipped into his parents trusts that his sister was also a beneficiary of she sued him so that was a kind of a nasty history but that company almost bankrupted him Mm -hmm. because of the infrastructure required to be be, before you could move a package they they are a great example and i do use that often because we the the folks that we tend to work with ron in the knowledge workers are are very reticent to to hire people to have any capacity (laughs) <laughs> until they're already overworked, until like people are dying, going you know sixty hour weeks or whatever, and now I, I oh. gotta so that and I always use that as an example. I so, said, you know, you've got to build capacity before you gain revenue. revenue. 
rehabilitative that capacity. Doesn't, that first. doesn't go over well, though, Ed. That does not go over well with accountants or or any professional law, lawyers and advertising agencies. Well, but then maybe that's why they they so often get get stuck at these plateaus because, and, and then all they do is merge with one another, right? Yeah. That's right. right. That's Be, exactly to, right. To, to, to get to get larger, because you you can't do it that way. It just doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's being a risk taker. It's being an entrepreneur. You've got to take the risk. You've got to expand your capacity, and then you build revenue. And and people who don't do that, you're it's not going to work. No, totally well, agree. Totally agree. Uh, but yeah, I kind of read that with nah, it's like ah, geez. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Maybe well, because I, I, I did a tour of FedEx. I actually went to Memphis with Dan and did a tour and it was just awesome. Oh, yeah. It I can only imagine awesome. what they're. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if I've ever told the story on the air, but as they were driving us, they have golf carts and they kind of take you around. And as we were driving down the tarmac and all the planes were lined up and I think they were being loaded to go out because this tour starts at midnight. Mm-hmm. It goes to like four in the morning, three in the morning. And they were driving us by the planes. And under the under the window of the pilot, there was a name like Ed or Ron or Cheryl or whatever. And we pointed to it because we noticed in about five or six planes said, is that the name of the pilot? And the guy said, oh, no, no, no. Every time we repaint a plane, we have a drawing and our employees put their kids' names in it. And we draw a name and we dedicate the plane to the kid. And we have a big ceremony and... Can you imagine? And I thought to myself, wow. can you imagine being 12 years old, having a FedEx plane named after you? Yeah. How cool would that be? Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, I got another one here. Hopefully we can do this in the next uh, four plus minutes. But okay. this is also your great state of California, Ron. Oh, and it, But it's not your fault this time. It's not your fault okay. this time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this was. Uh, oh, you're blaming me for all this nutty I stuff. I know. That on. Okay. I know. Yeah. You're just you're just the proxy. That's yeah, okay. Fair enough. So President Donald Trump announced Wednesday that he was revoking California's authority to set its own vehicle emissions standard. Did you see this? This is a yes, really interesting thing. Oh, all right. Our friend Robert Robert Wood sent to this Robert out to Wood us. for this. Yeah, yeah. I to Robert on this. Now, and then and with, and with a little comment that said, "Hey, what, what about federalism here? Federalism. What, about, I what, about, what about? I think this is unconstitutional. I think this is unconstitutional." And I gotta I gotta say, my first cutout is as much as I abhor California's Clean Air Act. If you want to be stupid out there, Ron, and have insane uh, insane legislation about the Clean Air Act. Knock yourself out. <laughs> I know, but Ed, what's interesting about this, because look, Robert, to answer your question directly, I think the EPA itself is unconstitutional. <laughs> well, let's, yes. Let's put yeah, that right. aside. <laughs> and let's, let's, let's argue like, you know, uh, this is going to be probably adjudicated in the court, but he's revoking a waiver. Now, if the federal government can issue a waiver, it can revoke it. Allowed it to set standards, yeah. But but even it how, issued the why waiver. Would need, why would you need a waiver to set standards that are tighter? Because they want they wanted to try and nationalize the standards so different states wouldn't have different standards. This is the automobile companies; they don't want to have to produce a car for your state, my state, and every other state. So the toughest standard becomes the proxy, kind of like uh, the example of. Uh, what what is uh, Talib's example of the minority becomes the majority? Yeah, the, the Lindy the kosher food, the kosher yeah. food label, right? right. It's only two, you know point two percent of the population, but it's on everything because, right? 
I think it's the same thing. And Trump's like, no, we need production. We need to. So we're going to take this away from them. Uh, it, I, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I, I'm not enough of a legal scholar to know if they can do this. But my just logic guided by experience tells me if the EPA can issue waivers, they can repeal them. Yes, I would agree with that. But, but here's the thing is like, wouldn't the way I mean, maybe this is what I just don't understand because it makes no sense. And maybe because <laughs> That's government, the problem. That's because the problem. government, <laughs> we're trying to apply logic to this. We're trying to apply logic to this. But wouldn't you want a waiver for the other way? Like, wouldn't you want a waiver to say, oh, the we we, we have we have a, a lower standard yes. like, that, yes. like that? Wouldn't you want exactly, like that? exactly. That's right. But, you know, California being California goes the other way well and so th- this this leads me and we, we only have a minute left but uh, we, maybe we'll, we'll do a whole uh conversation or even an episode on this because i find this whole thing fascinating the notion of of what's called a um not a convention of states a the the uh a convocation of states right right right, right? where where states get together and because i think we talked about it with with regard to the electoral college that yep. they were trying trying to the, these state covenants couldn't states get together and do the same thing with Clean Air Act? You know, I, I, I would just think that that would be the way to handle it. And and how do you know? Because each state has its own equivalent of the state EPA. compact. Compact. That's compact. What I'm about. Compact. State compact. Yeah. Um, each state has the equivalent of its own EPA. Uh, so how, how you know which which uh, which law rules? Mm-hmm. You know, does yep. federal take precedence over? I, I, I need to do more. We need to look into this more, Ed. I want to go out to, you know, Cato and AEI and see what they're seeing, what some of their legal scholars like Pallon say about this. Yeah. I think this is It is interesting because it's, it's just so back assward. It's really what it, it is. is. It is for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I just don't get it. All right. Well, we're up against our last break here. Juan, Ron, want to remind you. I don't know why I called you. I called you Juan for a second. I don't know why okay. that came out. Yeah, but uh, our our last break. We want to remind you that you can get a hold of us by sending an email to Ask TSOE. Of course, we do have the hashtag Ask TSOE out on Twitter as well as at uh, at TSOE if you want to connect with us that way. Lots and lots of ways for uh, you to be a part of the show, and we do love your comments. So please send them on. And and again, as Ron pointed out last time. Go out and write a review. Put pause right now. Go out. Click at least a, the asterisk or a star for the review. And uh, if you could, just 30 seconds, give us a reason why you love the soul of enterprise. But right now, a word from our sponsor and, of course, my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. 
Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, here we are back on The Soul of Enterprise, free riding on Friday. And, Ron, I got one for you that this is just absolutely not related to anything, but... Other than previous shows where I've talked about my new obsession with watching math videos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This started when I had my wisdom tooth removed and I I couldn't I couldn't sleep. So I was just, you know, doing a lot of surfing on YouTube and came across a bunch of math videos. And now I've become almost obsessed with the topic of math again. And one of the things that has, I guess, been around for over 100 years was this challenge that was laid down. Uh, a long, long time ago about trying to get, and this is follow here, trying to get three whole numbers whose cubes equal three, right? (laughs) Three whole or or, or equal a specific number, right? Right, right. So, so, so if you wanted it to to have, uh, you know, three whole, uh, three whole numbers where their cubes equal one, it's one cubed plus two plus one cubed plus one cubed. Right equals three equals one or three right and and how can how can you get all of these numbers can be 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 formed this is a sixty five year old challenge well the last remaining number that they did not have this series of cubes for was of course forty two which as you may recall is the number that is the answer to everything in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy universe right. <laughs> So, so, and I, I, I don't think that they, that this was related. Just was happenstance that forty-two was for whatever reason the most complex number, right? But anyway, they finally solved this, right? They finally have solved this using this thing called the Charity Engine, which is a worldwide computer, again in quotes, that harnesses un- unutilized CPU times at uh, home PCs. So mm-hmm. it was like that. You remember that SETI thing that was why, big for a while, where it was like the search for extraterrestrial life and oh, you right, downloaded right. it as a yes. screensaver, yep, right? Yep. And it would, it would like do all of this stuff to you. Okay, well, this is this is another example of that, that they, they, they crowdsource this and they, they finally solved this for 42. So ready, here, here are the three numbers that X, Y, and Z, that when they are squared um, and you add them together, come to an even 42, ready? Okay. okay. The first one is minus eight quadrillion five hundred and thirty-eight trillion seven hundred and thirty-eight billion eight hundred and twelve million seventy-five thousand nine hundred and seventy-four. 
That's one. The Y number is eight quadrillion, 435 trillion, Trillion. 758,145,817,515. And the last one, Z, is a mere only 12 quadrillion, 602 trillion, 123,297,335,631. So... (laughs) All right, Ed, you've officially given me a headache now. <laughs> wow. But if you square all those numbers and add them together, it's thir- It's 42. It's 42. It sounds like you're reading go- from the government budget. You know? <laughs> it's pre- pretty close. <laughs> but wow. if you want to check this, there is a way to do this. There's the online big number calculator that you can cut and paste this into, and it will then you know show you that the answer is 42. So, Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully you're getting your sleep these days. So we don't have to <laughs> hear any more of these math reports. We should outlaw math on this. No, we can't. We're accountants. There you um, go. You know, outlaw math. Uh, well, Ed, we did a show and I looked this up back in April of 16, 2016, show number 88. And the question was, do corporations pay taxes? Oh, yeah. And there was yeah. a great, great article in fee by Gary Gals. Um, this was from September 7th and he talks about the same thing. We talked about the incidents, as they say, of, of taxation, right? Right. Who, who actually who is, bears, who bears the burden, burden. right? The, not who writes the check, who actually pays it. And the famous articles by a guy named Arnold Harburger, who in 1962 in the journal of political economy found essentially all the corporate tax burden was borne by capital owners. So the shareholders. Now, because there's three, there's three people that they say the incidence of the corp tax falls on. It falls on consumers, shareholders, or workers, or some combination thereof. And there's a lot of argument and dispute about what percent pays what, blah, 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 and all that. But this is the famous article that everybody points to to say it, it bears on the, corp, it, uh, the corporate owners. But here's the interesting thing. Harberger revisited his seminal work in 95 and then again in 2008. And he found that he reversed his conclusions. Uh, he said because one of the assumptions he made back in the 62 article was that um, there was a closed economy. In other words, it was very difficult for capital to move around between countries. Well, obviously, oh, okay. yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. true anymore. So with international mobility, he found workers essentially bear all the burdens of the corporate tax, not wow. shareholders, not consumers. This is the same finding that um, um, the guy from AEI, who's now Trump's uh, chief economic advisor, Hassett, is it Daniel Hassett or William Hassett? I forget the guy's first name, but he found his work and he's been studying incidents for a long time too. He says it all falls on the workers, but because, you know, when an asset's tax burden is reduced, the immediate increase in the price of the underlying asset, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, stock prices would go up when you cut the corporate tax, which is kind of what happened when Trump's tax cut came in. And of course, since most financial resources are owned by people with higher wealth, it makes it look like the rich gain more from the corporate tax. And that's why people love this study. But, um, you know, what this guy points out is he says investment in technology 
and increasing the productivity of workers, which in turn raises their wages, that takes time. And the immediate effects on workers can be small, whereas the immediate effects of a corporate tax cut on the, the stock price and therefore the owners, the, the wealthy people, is almost, it's immediate, right? Because you're cutting the after, um, you're increasing the after-tax return on capital, which increases its price. But mm -hmm. investments in technology take longer. And he says, workers' higher future earnings do not get capitalized into a current asset price increase. So in other words, there's no, there's no market price that reveals the impact on workers in the future. There's no current price mechanism that's baked in like there is for the cut um, in the, you know, uh, for the rise in the uh, stock price. So just another piece of corroborating evidence that it's not consumers, it's not owners, it's workers who bear the brunt of corporate taxes. That's such an important distinction to make that run is that the, that if you reduce the corporate tax rate, the immediate beneficiaries would be the rich. That's true. But well, it's including the 50 percent of the population invested in corporation through their corporations. Right, sure, 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 sure. You know, yeah, yes, your, your, your point shareholders. is well taken about the top. Right. The, initially, but it because it, it just takes so long. But 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 the reality is, is that because this is a long process, this is classic systems thinking that it, it then it, it really reverts. It's coming out of the wages, the wages of the of the workers, which makes total sense. Wow. Yep. Yep. Great. Stuff. So. Yeah, I really love that. All right. So, Ed, what's on store for next week? Next week, Ron, we are going to do IVP, the lost chapter. IVP, the lost chapter. Okay. Wow. From my book. Yes. Yeah, so you, you you found a chapter. I, yeah, I had to dig that out of the grave site. Okay. Yeah. That got, that, that got cut from the book. and By me. Since, by you, by so me. that's <laughs> and uh, we will we will be talking about that chat that chapter next week. So IVP, the lost chapter. Excellent. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our show notes and our entire archive of prior shows at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also contact Ed or myself. Send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.